Hi, and welcome to the first official episode of Money O2. This initiative has been a long time coming, and I'm just so excited to finally be here and to share some of the amazing stories with you, like the story of the guest I have on today. In this episode, I'm joined by an absolutely wonderful and inspiring woman named Tracy Herring. Tracy is a former executive at Dow turned small business owner. She has three businesses, including salons and spas, that we have had the pleasure of working with for many years. And in fact, Tracy's businesses were some of Community's earliest adopters and still dear clients of today. This conversation was really special for me because I've always known Tracy in purely a professional environment. And I've personally witnessed what a great business owner she is. She's incredibly smart. She's incredibly caring about her staff. And she's also a really smart, financially savvy businesswoman. And I learned about her story when both of us were delayed in an airport. And as I learned a little bit about her story and her life, I also learned how much money was such a critical tool for her, not just to change her financial life, but to change her own life, not just the financial component of it and the lives of her children. This episode really is appropriate for anyone. She talks about finance and relationships, her challenge with spending versus saving. She also shares how she was responsible for a multi-million dollar P&L in her corporate life, but struggled to manage her own money. She also shares how she built a million dollar nest egg and why she's so passionate about women and money and how that really shows up in her business every single day. I love Tracy. I love her story and I know you will love her too. So enjoy the episode with Tracy Herring. My career skyrocketed, but I used the excuse of being a single mother to spend everything I made. In my corporate job, I ran a multi-million dollar P&L, but I didn't manage my home budget right. You know, money's not the most important thing in life, but it's right up there with oxygen. It's right, it's not the most important thing in life until you don't have it. Welcome, Tracy. So tell us a little bit about you and your background. I'm Tracy Herring. I uh, may as well put it right up front. I'm from Texas, if you hadn't already figured that out, just in the three sentences I've said. Uh, I'm a salon owner, but I have not always been a salon owner. I didn't start out in the beauty industry. I had a corporate career, and the last 10 years of that corporate career, I was had a dual career in that I did purchase my salons, and uh, they're in the Dallas area. And you came from a very large corporation, and you were kind of a, I would like to say you were kind of. Very, you were very successful in corporate America, right? I did. I had a very, very yeah. uh, rewarding career. Yeah. So what prompted you to open a salon and what prompted you to kind of enter into this industry? Well, it was um, multi-reasons, which I think things kind of build, you know, over your life experiences kind of, you know, influence what you, which direction you decide you want your life to go. And so a couple of things happened. Uh, the funniest one was, is when I was uh, very, I was in my late 20s, I had a job that I had basically already hit the, the glass ceiling. We lived in a small town and I had the highest paying female job in town and 
There was nowhere for me to go, and I was complaining to my hairstylist about it one day, of all people. And she had become my best friend in this little town. And so she convinced me to quit that really good job and to go to cosmetology school and then go into business with her. Now, that tells you the power of a hairdresser, right? That I didn't have any plans to be a hairdresser, but she just talked me right into it. So I did. So she and I, I went to school. She and I were in business together for about three years. And then uh, my husband at the time and I moved from that uh, area up in rural Texas and moved down to the Gulf Coast. And that's where I continued my education and then got into the corporate world. So that's how I got into the beauty industry originally. I actually had no idea that you went to school. I had no idea that you actually went to school to be a, in a cosmetologist. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I was a licensed cosmetologist for about three years. Yeah. The interesting thing was I loved, I knew right away that I loved the business of beauty. What I did not love was the technical aspect of the work. I, I was good at it, but I wasn't creative. I was very much by the book. You know, could I cut a good haircut and roll a good perm and, you know, that kind of stuff? Yes, but I wasn't an artist. Okay. And so that's why I kind of decided to take a different route and to go into business. But then, you know, 40 or no, 25 years later, when my daughter became a cosmetologist, you know, I thought, okay, when she came to me and told me that that's what she wanted to do. I said, that's fine, because I know you can make good money being a cosmetologist. But I want to help you, you know, know how to do that. And I actually didn't buy my salons because of her. She joined my business five years later after that. But it kind of piqued my interest again in getting back into the industry just from an ownership perspective instead of behind the chair. This is a podcast about money stories. Mm -hmm. And... You have had such an interesting journey with your money story. So I'd kind of like to take it back. And when you were telling me about where you were with your money story and kind of walk us through what was your money story. So, you know, what's interesting, Erin, is I think maybe especially as women, we, we tell the world the story that we want them to hear. And they and we don't tell them maybe what's really going on on the other side. So what happened to me is I married my high school sweetheart right out of high school. And it wasn't a healthy marriage from the beginning. Produced two beautiful children out of that marriage. But several years later, after we moved to the Gulf Coast, we had just gr both grown in different directions. But I was trapped in that marriage for financial reasons. I did not, had not yet gotten a position to where I could really kind of stand on my own two feet, be a single mom, you know, of two girls and raise them. But I, but I went ahead and, and took the very courageous step to get out of that marriage, even knowing I was financially constrained. Well, then I found myself in a situation where there was a lot of animosity over the child support aspect of our divorce, and to the point that that was being used as an emotional uh, tool against my children. And so I made that decision during that period of time that there was one way that I could basically 
protect my children was to out-earn my ex-husband. So I went back to school. I got a good corporate job. I had many, many, many people along the way that gave me a hand up through that process. And the day I got to the point to where I did not need that extra income, I went to him and said, hey, I'll make a deal with you. You never have to pay me another penny, but my children only come visit when they want to. And he took me up on it. So that was a turning point for me because I needed to uh, release my children from some emotional, um, you know, abuse that was going on because of that situation. Wow. I mean, I think that just illustrates the power of providing really women, but also anyone, what comes when you have economic power is you have freedom. You have, it gave you freedom is really what it did. Give you and your children freedom. It, it did. Then, so for the next 10 years or so, you know, my career skyrocketed. I was making really good money, but I used the excuse of being a single mother to spend everything I made. Okay. So we, uh, yes, I was contributing to my company 401k, the minimum amount to get the matching or the maximum amount, you know, to get the matching. But that was it. That's all I was doing. And uh, spending a lot of money, you know, we were having a lot of fun. We traveled all over the place to come on great vacations. And they went to school, you know, and all that kind of good stuff. So I was feeling pretty good about myself. And then I met my second husband. Okay. And by this time, I'm in my uh, mid-40s, mid to late 40s. And we, you know, dated. And then we started getting serious about, you know, getting married to the point that we were looking at, you know, our financial health as a couple. I went to the table with all my financials, you know, say, here, here it is. And, you know, I tell you, it, it almost became a showstopper. Because my husband is extremely fiscally responsible, has been saving since he was 12 years old. Okay. And so when he saw, based on the amount of income that I was making, the percentage of what I had actually managed to save for retirement, he was just like, what have you been doing all these years? So in order to have a healthy marriage, you know, there's always checks and balances and everything. I had to step back and decide whether I was going to be able to make the financial commitment that he was wanting me to make to us as a marriage, which was significant change for me in the lifestyle that I had been living. But boy, am I glad I did. Well, I mean, to even take it a step further, Tracy, you told me that your husband sat you down and said you need to continue to start doing and increase your automatic savings. So when we really look at your money saved, you made it automatic and you built over a million dollar nest egg for yourself just by making it automatic. Yeah. In, in about 10 years. Yeah. And did you miss the money? Did you miss the lifestyle? No. Interestingly enough, and again, you know, I did have him as a partner, you know, in some of it, there were some things I missed. Uh, some days I felt like I was just working, you know, for, a, you know, not a paycheck because I would see how much went into other things and much, how much actually came out on, you know, my, my spending. But very quickly, you get to where you don't miss it because you just adjust to it. And he had me doing things like, you know, maxing out all of our investment, you know, everything I could put into a retirement investment, you know, to put it in there. 
I had always budgeted to always be having a car payment. I had always financed every car that I'd ever bought. He had never financed a car. He always paid cash. So he also, I started putting money into a savings account to buy my next car. I started putting money into a savings account to pay for our vacations. Now, of course, you know, he was he was matching or even contributing more than I was. But just that that paradigm shift of saving for the spending instead of spending on credit or spending and not having any kind of safety net underneath you. And it doesn't matter how much money you're making. I was making good money and I was still living, you know, quote, almost paycheck to paycheck. I'm so glad you mentioned that, Tracy, because that was going to be one of my um, potential objections that someone listening might say that and say, oh, it's, you know, it's easy for her to say she got a cushy corporate job. She was able to save, build a nest egg of over a million dollars. But, you know, one of the things that we teach in the money curriculum and what we see is many people don't have an income problem. It's actually a spending problem. And that's really kind of sounds like it was consistent with what you were experiencing. That's that's exactly right. And what I had to do too, the reason it was so, I had to, you know, chomp down like I did when we got married is because I had wasted 20 years of my career. If I would have started saving in smaller increments when I was in my 20s, instead of waiting until I was in my late 40s, I wouldn't have had such a tall mountain to climb. You know, because it's that compound interest over, you know, decades of saving that I had not taken advantage of. So I had I had to make up a lot of time in in what I did. What I heard from you, too, in your initial money story, you know, back, you know, when you were recently a single mother and you needed freedom, you needed to out earn your husband is what you said. It gave you freedom then, and it sounds like your money story now, it also gives you freedom at this stage in your life. It does. Yeah, it, it does. And and that's what allowed me, I think, you know, when I decided to purchase the salon, the first one that I purchased uh, 12 years ago, you know, if I hadn't already had that little nest egg starting to build up, it wouldn't have even made sense to go take a loan out and buy a business. You know, uh, that was another thing that was always uh, interesting. And I bet you a lot of people can relate to this. In my corporate job, I ran a multi-million dollar P&L very successfully, but I didn't manage my home budget right. So you have to stop yourself and ask, why would you do that for somebody else, but you won't do it for yourself? And that's what I had been doing for all those years. Why do you think that is? Because I think, you know, even what we say, you know, one of the myths and traps that we hear from many people who may uh, fear numbers or have some form of math or money anxiety um, is their myth is, well, I'm not good at math, so I'm not good at money. But that's a perfect example. We hear this all the time. There's a lot of people that are really, really good with math, but they're terrible with money. Yeah. And why, why do you think that is? Why were you putting more attention on that P&L than your own P&L for your life and your, your family, really, too? Yeah, you know, it's I've thought about that a lot. And um, I think it comes back down to you give the most of yourself where you're getting the most validation of what you're doing is bringing value to the people around you. And I got a lot of that at work. I was highly validated every day 
of what I was doing. So I excelled in that part of my life. You come home and you've got kids with homework and the plumbing's breaking and it's just it's just all a more of a a pull, you know, than a lift you up. It's kind of it can be a pull you down when you're trying to, you know, manage your life over here and then you go to work and you get all this validation, you know, about how how great everything is. And so you tend to put your focus where you're getting the most validation, right? That's so true. And, you know, if you think about it, nobody's clapping for you for saving money and, you know, making a smart financial choice. The only one that's clapping for you is really your future self. Right. Who would thank you years later. That's so interesting. I never thought about it that angle. And I wonder if others on this can relate to that. And Tracy, when you kind of think back to, you know, kind of in your earlier days with money, what was your biggest, loudest, most limiting belief about money? I have to go way back on this, basically. And I think so much of it is really, Erin, it comes back to it's how we were raised, right? The, the paradigm and under which we were raised. So my parents were divorced when I was six years old. And my, my father, my stepmother raised me very, very stable, you know, childhood going forward. I thank God every day for that. My mother, who was like a part-time mother, uh, showered me with gifts and with money. So until I was an adult, I never had to worry about money. If I ran out of money, I'd just call mom. She'd send me money. She opened me up a checking account. I'll never forget when I was a teenager and I would overdraft it. No problem. She'd just put more money in the bank. So see, so my paradigm up until I was an adult and had that situation with the marriage that I was needing to uh, get out of was that the money would just always just show up magically from somewhere because that was mom, you know, in my life. So I was not raised and my parents, my dad, my stepmom, interestingly enough, taught my brothers to be very fiscally financially. They were the men in the family, right? I was the only girl. They never taught me how to balance a checkbook. They never, I never held a job, you know, when I was in high school. It was, it was just so odd to me now how different, you know, I was parented you know, back during uh, those, uh, those days. Yeah. That is, and the theme that I kind of hear coming up with you, because you also, you also have two daughters. Mm -hmm. You also run a salon of primarily females, right? Is that the majority of your team? Right. And you have described that business as really being like your ministry to really educate women and allow them to make a great income. So the theme of kind of women and money has kind of showed up to me in this conversation. So can you talk to me a little bit more about how you've taken those beliefs that you've learned and shared them and raised your daughters with, but also how you incorporate them into your business with your team every single day? Yeah, so I think one of the things that, you know, really I did learn through all that life journey that I had is that, you know, I never wanted my children to find themselves in a situation, you know, where they were trapped in a relationship because of money, you know, and then when, so I raised them that way. And then when I bought the business, 
you know, I kind of realized that, you know, here I was an employer, you know, of, you know, sometimes up to 30, you know, women, maybe a couple of guys, you know, stuck in there. And in a small business, as you know, you learn everybody's life story. You, you just do. You know who they are. And so it, it dawned on me that what I wanted to create and also learned a lot about the beauty industry because my youngest daughter, you know, was a hairstylist. And I saw some of the environments that she worked in, but she worked in some very good environments. But she also worked in some that were not so great. And the businesses weren't being ran like a business. Okay. And uh, so I, I determined from the get-go, I was going to run my business like a business. You know, it's not your mother's beauty shop, you know, is what I always say. And then these employees that we hire, you know, give them the skills and the tools, but also the work environment to where they can succeed. And if we give them the training and the tools and the work environment, then it's on them, you know, to make it work or not, but they can't, there's no excuses for not being successful in our business and not being a really good breadwinner. I, and I have seen that because you have been one of Cunity's, Cunity's, you've been with us since our really inception and you've, you put a lot of intention and attention and investment into the education and training right. for your team right. to give them the tools to be financially successful. And it's really a core value at Devonti, right? It is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. And it makes me really proud when I get to see that people, then they start, they come in, you know, they have nothing. They're right out of cosmetology school. Some of them are still living with parents, you know, or having other second jobs. And then, you know, within a few months or a year, they're, you know, making enough money to stand on their own two feet. and then. Two or three years later, maybe they've bought a new car and then they've bought a new house and now they're having babies. And there's nothing more rewarding to me than that, than creating that venue where they can grow their life. That's so powerful. If I, Tracy, if I can go back to when you had that kind of moment with when you were in the relationship with your husband and your your first husband and when you said, okay. I need to out-earn, you know, or when you were exiting that relationship. Do you have a moment? Was there a moment in time when you had that realization? Or do you think it was more progressive and really recognizing through experiences? Or can you pinpoint the moment where you realized that's what needed to happen? I can. And I, and I hope it's not one that anybody, you know, has to go through because it was extremely painful for everyone involved. And and, you know, my first husband, he's the, I, always, I tell people he's the father of my children and the grandfather of my one grandchild. And so he, we have moved past that part in our life, but it was so uh, contentious. My older daughter especially was being used as the pawn in the game. And the epiphany for me was a, um, a, a, a situation that happened where she was really put in the middle of something like from a legal perspective. And she was 10 years old. She was 10 years old. And it was all over that stupid child support, which wasn't even that much money. And that's when I had that epiphany to, to save her. I had to do something different. It's that Stephen Covey saying, I think it is that if you can't keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, right? And so I had to just change what the, 
change my paradigm on what that was. And so that that's where I went with that. It's amazing how much of life does come back to money. It does. Right. Situations like that, how much money is involved in, you know, areas of your life that you may not even think of, but really relationship challenges, how much is there some involvement of money at play, right? Everywhere. And that's why I love uh, Tom's financial roundtables. And he always starts with that, uh, that quote about, you know, money's not the most important thing in life, but it's right up there with oxygen. It's right. It's not the most important thing in life until you don't have it. You know, so that's real easy for people that have a lot of money to say, oh, money's not the most important thing in life. If you, but if you can't put gas in your car to get to work, or you can't put food on table or, or pay good child care for your children, it is one of the most important things in life, if not the. What changed about your life when you took action to change your money story and to change that paradigm? I guess the biggest thing is, you know, and it's funny because I, I had never, I've got this gift. I don't worry very much anyway. So I had never really worried too much about it anyway. I didn't know how close I was living life on the edge, you know, and, <laughs> until my second husband was like, whoa, you know, but, uh, but I think the biggest thing is now is a peace of mind, you know, that I've got friends that are in my age bracket that, uh, you know, if one thing happens in the stock market or, you know, one of them had a really significant unexpected health issue that took her out of the workplace five years early and uh, just things like that, that I can really you know, upset your financial picture significantly if you haven't kind of been investing in it all along. And so it's, it's peace of mind is the thing that has come uh, best for me. And the fact that now I really can help others, you know, with that. So I have a, not not just, I don't necessarily have the financial means, but I have the knowledge and the background and the wisdom, you know, to kind of help others not find themselves in that spot. We talked about, you know, what changed about your life and the peace of mind, but what about who you are, who you were and who you are today as your money story has changed? Well, I think it came from, I came from a place of, I've always been a workaholic, you know, so I work, I'm retired. I still own three businesses and I work, you know, 40 hours a week, but uh, I like to work. But I think it's the reason why you're working shifts. You know, are you working just for the money? Because if you are, that's a really painful place to be. Or are you working because you love what you do? You're, you feel like you're, you're getting something out of it, but you're also giving something back. And so it kind of gets to where it doesn't feel like work anymore. I mean, that's kind of cliche, but we all we all know what that feels like when you're working in something that you love what you're doing and happen to be made. That's the community model, right? And by the way, you happen to make good money doing it, right? There's there's a there's a way to do it. There is a prescription for it, you know, if uh, people will follow that prescription. So true. If you had to boil it down to one piece of advice that you'd give people in the industry looking to change their money story, right? Someone who's really struggling. Maybe they're in a place where they don't even know how to change their money story. Maybe they're 
just kind of coasting along, or maybe they're more in a crisis situation and a situation that you were in where they really desperately needed to change their money story. What is one piece of advice that you would leave them with? You have to start somewhere. So even if it is as simple as having 10 per $10 of your paycheck put into a savings account to where you never see it, you know, just start somewhere and start early if you can. A lot of the people that we hire, gosh, you know, 20, 20 years old, some a little bit younger, some just a year or two older. So if you start when you're 20, you know, there's these math models that show, you know, you don't have to contribute nearly as much, you know, because of compound interest and everything than if you uh, start when you're 30 or start when you're 40. But it's never too late to start, but start, start. Do something about it. Yeah. Just don't be afraid of it. I just, love it. just start doing it. Just start. I love it. Well, Tracy, this was so impactful and you're such a gift to our industry and you're such a gift to your team and your family. And it's, uh, I'm so grateful that this got to be the first episode and your wisdom of just, just starting, you know, how many times in life do we need that about anything? And especially when it comes to money, lots of people, I don't, I think they don't take the first step because it is, it's often really scary when you get present when you, with your financial reality, if you have not prioritized it, right? And so it's easier just to avoid. But the sooner you start and the sooner you acknowledge, there's this quote that says, all progress starts when you tell the truth. And that's the same with money. So tell the truth, get present with your money story, and you can start to change it. So thank you so much to Tracy for joining me on this episode. You're welcome. And I would end with one more thing too. It's embarrassing, Aaron. It, it is embarrassing. And so it's, you have to, like you said, it's fearful and you have to be vulnerable. And uh, like with my, my husband now, you know, one of the biggest things was I, you know, as a woman thought, well, if I'm really transparent with him and show him what this really is, is he still going to love me? You know, is he still going to want to marry me? Is he still going to want to be my life partner? And once I took that step of faith and step of trust and trusted myself to be vulnerable, like even what I've told you today, then that fear's behind you and you don't have to worry about it anymore and you can just move forward. You know, I just thought of this. How many people would rather fully show their naked body versus showing their bank accounts, right? Yes. What is more vulnerable and intimate than showing someone? Because how you use your money does say a lot about you, right? Yes. I remember having that same feeling in relationships in my early 20s, being so embarrassed about money conversations, especially because that was a time in my life where I was, my money story was very negative. I was constantly stressed and I, I deeply felt my money situation was my worth. And I, I wonder how many people can, can relate to that. And it sounds like you had the same thing with your husband. I did. Your husband. Yeah. Well, and because, and I think it comes back to what I was saying, you, so you want to present yourself a certain way to the world, you know, so maybe you spend money to do that, you know, because everybody, you know, at one point in my life would have thought, wow, this is, she's taking her kids to Europe on vacation. She's driving a luxury car, you know, she owns her own home. So those were all just external trappings. You know, that's another saying is, uh, you know, we hear our kids compare a lot. Well, they've got this and they've got that and they've got this and they've got that. That doesn't mean, you know, that there's financial uh, security 
behind that picture. What's the saying? Wealth is what you don't see. Yes. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you, everyone. Uh, just start. And thank you so much, Tracy, for joining us.